It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. A happy Saturday to everyone. My name is Matt Shea, and I'm guest host for Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. I welcome you on behalf of KKNW Alternative Talk, the Manson Mitchell Show. And with me is my favorite agent. This is my all-state guy whenever I'm with him. This is Nathan Miller. Why, you ask? Because I'm always in good hands with this guy. Nathan, how are you today? Oh, thank you, Matt, and I'm doing great, and good morning to you. It's so nice out. It's a little overcast, and we can handle that. Just a little bit. I would want to say it's marine air, but, I mean, the weather forecast says it's going to be sticking around for the day, so we're going to be hanging around with some clouds. Incidentally, I had received a little message from Gary Mance recently. They're having the time of their lives. He took a picture in front of a statue with Andy Griffith and Opie, Ron Howard. And I could tell he's having the best of times because it did not say, wish you were here. Oh, I know they're having a great time, too. And we're going to hear so many stories when they get back from their great vacation that they're on right now. They'll be back around the beginning of September. But for now, we uh, get to have the wonderful Matt Shea and Dina Marie guest hosting while they're away. Thank you very much. I have got my buddy Carl Vogel, who will be our guest today. And Carl is a lot of fun. He's a country boy. Whenever I catch good fish, I will text it to him. And we're on the same wavelength there. And a while back, I thought it'd be so neat because Carl and I had worked in casinos, different ones, and there were a lot of stories, but he sweetened the pot. When I sold my home and I couldn't get into my new home yet, and I had that gap, well, he was in the process of moving out of his place, and he and I stayed at his home for about five weeks or so. This house has a lot of stories about it. All of his family members would talk about some oddities happen. Now, I want to ask you, Nathan, in your life, have you ever been somewhere where you felt you were being watched, or what was that? I wouldn't say watched. I mean, these probably wouldn't be like extreme cases, or I would say probably minor compared to the ones I've heard of. But in college, when I was staying in my dorm, on top of my desk, I just had a roll of paper towels, and the door's... And windows were completely shut, so there's like no breeze or anything, and nobody was moving around. And the roll of towels was tucked towards the back of the desk. Well, suddenly while I was studying, the paper towels just fell over onto my computer on their own without explanation. And another day, I was studying, and I had the window open because it was a little bit warm inside the dorm. And no breeze at all outside, though. And the window, it's kind of... A little bit more strength is required to open it. It's kind of stiff, so it can't really easily close on its own. Well, one day it just slammed shut while I was studying. No breeze. So I can't really explain why that happened. I mean, there was nothing that could warrant the explanation for those objects moving around. I can relate to that. I have been with people in broad daylight visiting and we would see a door open by itself, meaning that something grabbed the doorknob, turned and pushed in the same motion with the screen door pulled back. Nothing was there, and we would just look at each other, and what was that? 
Then one last thing that happened, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I was with my mom that day, and she witnessed it, too. We were both looking, and I was like, that was really weird. My cup was just sitting on the flat table, and it was a insulated cup, so it didn't have like any condensation on the side, and the table was completely dry. It slid about six inches across the table on its own. Wow. Amazing. I, I can't explain that. Well, anyway, we have Carl waiting in the wings. He's fun. This is the guy I'm going to be doing a lot of road trips with and so forth, and his family is great to hang out with. Carl Vogel, Vance and Mitchell welcome you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me, Matt. Nice to see you. Well, this is fantastic. A while back, you and I got to know each other. Uh, your wife had a nice barber shop in your home. It was during the, the intensity of the initial COVID shock. And so we were able to, my friends and I were able to get haircuts there because the barber shops were not open. And from there, I learned about your house, stories about it, got to meet you, and heck, we're buddies for life now. But anyway, just tell us a bit about yourself and then talk about things that Nathan and I have experienced in the past, things that you've touched on before. Sure. Uh, I, well, obviously lived in Des Moines where the house was, um, but I am in the service sales industry, um, number eight out of 13 children, um, married with a son and a dog, Maximus, that you know well. And, uh, yeah, I'm loving life every day. It was so neat being in that house because my stuff was in storage. Your stuff was going across state to your present residence in Spokane. And sometimes the guys were together. Sometimes your brother Chris would be there, your other friend Matt. We'd be past one in the morning swapping stories. And then they would start to give personal accounts of what they've witnessed through the years in your house. Let's talk about that house in Des Moines. Right. Well, um, and you know, sorry, you, you asked me about what I have experienced besides that. Real quick, when I was living in Spokane, uh, I was working at a casino and I was in between shifts because you get off at six o'clock in the morning. Must have been 10 or 11 in the morning. And I woke up and it was it wasn't so much seeing it as feeling it. You, you notice the presence, but I saw this figure bright white in front of me and I, it was almost calling to me. And so I reached out for it and it just disappeared into the wall and it was gone. So it was something more of the feeling that I got instead of seeing it. Um, that was, you know, uh, you know, the first, first time I really, re really recognized something that was not always there, you know, um, but yeah, I bought my house. It was September of, that I, I had woken up in the middle of the night and I heard my downstairs door shutting and, uh, somebody was walking up the stairs. I heard them and my sister and my little brother were living there at the time and they were out of town. So I knew somebody was there for something and I, I didn't know what I had hardly anything. I had my TV, I had my painting from, from Italy. And, uh, you know, the only thing I could, I could think of was what are they here to get? And the only weapon I had was a broken shower pole, like a shower caddy broken pole. And so I busted out of my room, went screaming down the hallway to 
confront whoever was there and there was nobody there. Right. So I didn't think too much of it. Um, but I knew that the previous owner, her brother had committed suicide. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I should pray for the guy or something. So I was in, in touch with her sister who was offering me tools to sell some poses, a rake. And anyway, she was sending me a letter. Uh, she didn't use email. So she would write, you know, I got these things. And so I replied back to her and said, um, can I know the name of your brother? And she wrote back and said, I wonder if you believe in the power of the paranormal. Um, I remember when my sister bought her house, the same house that I bought, she said when she first bought it, she'd heard hear the downstairs doors shutting, people walking up the stairs, rocking chairs going forth with nobody sitting in them. And so I thought, oh, great. I bought a haunted house. You know, so I, I ended up talking to her on the phone. And my sister, who I hadn't told about my experience for whatever reason, she uh, was listening to the conversation. And she said, hey, wait, did you hear about that? what happened to me and she said that this head was floating around a red head with a beard was floating around and she started praying her hail marys and um i said no oh that's weird and so i'm talking to this gal and hearing this information about you know my house from my sister she said what about chris our brother that lived there as well he said he saw these two green eyes in the middle of the night he woke up and uh two green eyes were looking at him and he was paralyzed he couldn't move and so he prayed and it finally went away and then he was able to move again. And I, he had a couple of experiences with green eyes and they're adjacent rooms um, in my basement. So uh, the gal on the phone, she was saying, you know, there's this article that was done in 1979, a newspaper article in the Des Moines times or whatever it was, it's obsolete now. And it went to the Highline times. And anyways, now it's no longer. Um, but she said in 1979, they commissioned uh, the U University of Washington commissioned commissioned uh, four members from the Tazadi um, religion to come out and exercise whatever entity was there because the these people were experiencing oh a red uh, gal was in the downstairs basement and she was doing her makeup on or anyways a red figure appeared in the mirror um, and she took off and never came back to the house the downstairs bed would lift off the floor and it came down with such force that uh, the posts split um, cups flying off the shelves. Anyhow, the Tazadi religion um, commission, whatever you want to call it, they were sent out and one was wearing purple. One was wearing, you know, purple for peace, pink for love, you know, whatever those. So it's all saying this in the article. And also that back in the late 1800s, a man by the name of John McDougall, uh, owned a house in the area. He uh, was a Catholic fellow with a red beard and he got in a fight with his wife one night and went down to the bar, the local saloon. Well, he came back and his house had burned up and his wife was inside. So he became, when he died, uh, the article says that he became so paranoid, so uh, terrified of going to hell that he became earthbound. And so I started doing my research. I'm like, this is my house. I, I'm going to figure this out because this is too weird. So I went 
I tracked down where the newspaper articles were, and it's at the Des Moines Historical Society, where you can go in and see the archives of newspapers from, you know, throughout, I guess, every single newspaper they did have. And so they brought them out, these full-length newspapers from 1979, and there's the article that has the names. Um, and one name in particular was uh, Dr. Larry Iverson. And I Googled him and he's a motivational speaker in the area. So I called him up and said, Hey, Dr. Iverson, I uh, wonder if you knew about, or if you remember this house in Des Moines that you had gone to uh, do a sort of exorcism. And he chimed in right away. He knew exactly everything about my house. And I was getting goosebumps listening to him because he's explaining, he's describing my house, you know, the cellar. He said that you could put your arm in the cellar and it was freezing. And then outside was normal room temperature, but it was remarkably freezing inside the cellar. And he said, there's one room and he was describing everything and how it's a split level house and, and whatnot. And so I asked him um, eventually, you know, how did you know his name was John McDougall? And he said, well, you know, he stammered a little bit and said, uh, I asked him. And I said, I thought so. And so he said, well, if you need any help getting rid of him, He'll let me know. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just trying to get information about this. And so I'm going after it um, from a learning kind of a deal. Just, I'm not scared by it. I'm quite the contrary. I'm uh, really interested in it. And um, yeah, so I, I started doing my research and I went to the, uh, the Bellevue Community College where they had plat owners, plot owners in the area for dating back, I guess, as long as they've kept records. But I'm there with white gloves by appointment at the Bellevue Community College, whatever they call it, um, looking through, looking for any name, John McDougall, Jay McDougall, Jonathan, every variation of it. Uh, and I never did find one that was really close to my area, but uh, I did my portion of like helping the guy. I don't know how I'm going to help him release him from his torment. I did an exorcism. I planted four St. Benedict medals in the four corners of my property. Um, and he never, never really manifested again that I knew of, or maybe I didn't recognize it. Maybe I got so used to it, but uh, that's pretty much, I mean, everything was so coincidental and I'm like, I'm not leaving this house. This is, this is my house. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. You know, I worked really hard for this, my first house. Uh, and we became, well, I felt we became kind of, kind of friends. I'd come home at night, you know, to an empty house and say, hi, John, I'm home and that kind of thing. So uh, that's pretty much my experience of it. And it was, it was remarkable and you could feel it. It was again, one of those feelings instead of seeing so much um, that, uh, yeah, my, I, I miss him in a way, I guess. You know, old John McDougall. Well, so. the home that I had, that I had sold before I moved in with you, uh, the woman had died there. And I've lived in many places where people have passed. It's such a natural, common thing. There's nothing to it. Once in a while, you might have some type of activity and you, you question what the source is or if anything's actually happening. But this particular home, I lived up the street. A new neighbor had moved in. I knew in time I would meet her. Then I heard she passed. And so when that became available, 
The neighbors could not get in the house. The realtors, for whatever reason, could not find the keys. And so I'm walking by, and somebody comes up to me, and they had a key to this house. They got it somehow and asked if I wanted to look at it. And I go, sure. So I looked at it, and it was nicer than the one I had just down the street. <clears throat> and so I asked how much, and on a handshake deal, I bought the place. When I discussed this with you, you used the term approved, that I was approved because I immediately felt a presence. And again, I've lived in many places where people have passed. Here I felt a presence, and whenever I walked around, I felt it was right there with me. And I would get up at an odd hour, take a bath, do a load of laundry. I would have to get out of the house because I, the trailer, because I could just feel that presence. And so finally, when my former wife's second husband wanted to buy it, he loved it. I said, sure, but I told him, and you know, he, he didn't worry about it. To my knowledge, he doesn't have any problem. It seemed to be a prerequisite because that intensity was greatly magnified when I moved into your place. Because when I walked up the flight of stairs the first time, carrying my items for the bedroom, I fell on the top of the stairs. Nothing pushed me. I was short of breath. Nothing was choking me. Nothing was standing on my chest. I walk upstairs all the time. I go to the gym all the time and get on one of those cardiovascular machines. It's only happened once. Why in that house? And why when I was moving in? Now, your son Jack's bedroom was the one I got. And I remember your wife, Bridget, telling me that you better believe it's haunted because before Jack moved out, all night long, he saw a silhouette walking back and forth in front of the TV dials that light up at night, all night long, like a guard, back and forth, back and forth. He witnessed that. Well, he was out of there soon, and I was the next resident there. When you were around, you and your buddies, Matt, and so forth, it was great. When I was alone, I didn't hang out there. I would sit on the front porch. I would leave. I'd walk around the neighborhood. On Halloween night, I was handing out candy. You were in Spokane. Incidentally, you give out good candy. Thank you. But I would not go in that home till I was nodding off, ready to fall asleep. When I finally moved to my home in Marysville, I'm there for the first week. It's about 8.30 in the morning, and I could hear a woman with an accent talking to me. It was just a little more than a whisper, the way an elder would, and all I could think about was that woman down the street, and I could not clarify what she was saying, but I could definitely hear it was a very calm English language with an accent, and I felt it was a welcome to the neighborhood, and I felt this very person who had approved of me knowing that I was going to be yours at your place and then ending up in Marysville twice the same week such contact happened, speaking to me, nobody there, and then no contact whatsoever ever since. Where I live right now, it's peaceful and quiet. Mm. It all seems to tie in together. Yeah, it it does. And it's interesting how, you know, you said you waited outside and you didn't want to you know, go in. Um, you, you could feel it, you know, it's, it's yes. not... I mean, it's an uneasy feeling, 
in a way, I kind of relish it because I want to get to the bottom of it. I'm not really scared of it. It's something unknown, and but it's not. I'm not afraid of physical harm and um, more curiosity to see. Carl, do you remember the day I called you because I wasn't moved in yet, and I was asked to do a quick radio show. I'm in the freeway, and I said that your place is the quickest place for me to ditch, and I had keys to your place, sure. and so. On spur of the moment, I made it to your place, set up shop in your dining room table. I felt that I was not alone. I felt like I was kind of imposing a bit to whatever. The show went off good, and I immediately packed up and got out of there. But the first two times I had quote-unquote business in your home, things happened. Yeah, and you didn't wait for the applause from John, I, I guess. No, I did not. I felt... I felt that I was imposing, intruding. And then your friend, Matt, he was talking about a specific area of the house that's ice cold, and he just stays away from it. Matt's a jack of all trades. He helps you fix up the old house and everything. He just stays yeah. away from it. He testifies to that, where he he felt the freezing. I mean, it was always a little bit cooler because it was unfinished, that room, the storage room slash cellar. Uh, so he witnessed that. And then my son, as I was telling somebody about this not too long ago, he told me that he heard step footsteps when he was alone there. And so he went and got um, his BB gun and he loaded it and uh, he was ready. He was ready for whatever it was. And same thing that I encountered. I heard the footsteps, didn't see anybody. So he's witnessed it a couple of times and he's kind of a kind of a quiet kid. So I wonder I asked him if he saw anything else or witnessed anything else, and now that was that was the only thing that he told me about anyhow. When my buddy and Pete would swing by to get our haircuts during the COVID thing, your wife Bridget and her friends would be telling stories about that house, the things they've seen over the years. And so there's definitely stuff going on. Hey, it's written in the archives. It's right there in print. And I think it's fair play that we don't give away the address because we now have another family living there and maybe right. they're not experiencing anything. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I just happen to be lucky by being in touch with the gal, the sister of the previous owner. And uh, man, things just kind of fell into place where uh, yeah, a lot of mysterious uh, happenings that went on that had me convinced and I'm not, I'm not one to, you know, believe every single ghost story, quote unquote. Uh, but man, mine is just really close to home and, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I know what I saw and experienced. My mother was an EKG technician. She would kind of use the electric current to jolt a person's heart. And often by our clinical measures, they were deceased they would come back with stories. Twice I was in the hospital when my father had come back and he would talk about seeing his mother who passed years ago. And then another time he was saying what it was like to look down and see all the loved ones there. And I asked hmm. what happened. He said, well, everybody was sad because of me. And so I just thought I could do this another time. But in each case, the technicians were talking to them and they pulled me aside and they said he was gone for a while these people came and went. We get this all the time. Huh. And I can't explain it because like yourself and everybody listening, we're on this side of the fence. And so until you cross over, it's for us to find out. 
I guess. And I don't know if you have to have certain receptors on or different ones will manifest themselves at particular times or places or what it obviously places I can, I can attest to. So who knows, maybe there, who knows what the reasoning is. I just find it fascinating. When I was in Oregon, I was in a hotel called the Oregon hotel and it went back over a century. And I believe this was in the town of, um, Michael. And so I'm talking to the old timer, the husband and wife team that ran it. And the guy said, I'm just going to say it. Did you know this place is haunted? And I go, really? So he would tell me things he's seen, but yet his wife has never seen anything. And he says, that's how it goes. He says, you always have family members that don't know what you're talking about, but I know what I saw. And then somebody else, and that happens so much. Right. Yeah. You have a lot of great stories about that. You, you seek it out. Um, I do because when I was a kid, we had a kid on the playground in grade school telling us that the houses and their family were haunted, especially as grandmothers. Well, we were young enough in Catholic school where we would report him. I think the term's called snitching. But the parents <laughs> who were serving as monitors, they say those are true stories. We live in that neighborhood. We So now you're having adults confirm it. And then what my mother was doing for a living, the neighbor crossed the street, she worked in a hospice. We had the adult community telling their stories on the same topic. You can't help but hold interest in it. Absolutely. I mean, anything that unusual is going to grab people's interest. And uh, yeah, you do a, f- a fabulous job of, of relaying your stories. And we are going to do some trips on this. Well, it's incredible because you and I know places and we got the whole state to work with here. You've got Eastern Washington. I'm over here. We got the entire coastline and I have a few select friends where we do our road trips and we will look up a place that has stories and we go there and 99.99, we don't see anything, but we meet the most fantastic people. The owners will come out, the cooks, they'll tell some stories and it makes for a fun outing. Sure. Yes, indeed. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, When we were talking to Nathan earlier, he mentioned a dormitory, and then hotels are famous. I've probably been to over 100 of them. Some I stayed in, many I visited. When you have these places where large groups have lived in, uh, myself, a group of us guys, shared a house in West Seattle for a few years, and Mike and Art, who lived upstairs, they were convinced the place was haunted, I didn't know what they were talking about. I never detected anything. But there you go. You've got a cluster of people in an old structure, and a few are going to, they're going to question. They they feel they sense something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear about the bars in Portland where they used to used to shoot them out of the bar. <clears throat> yes. On the, the, anyhow, I'm, I'm remiss on all the details, but yeah. Yeah, it's just one story after another. And then you get on TV and they have tons and tons, the ghost adventures and so forth. And then when you have the opportunity to frequent these places, I'm, I'm fascinated with the history of lighthouses. So many of them go back 150 years, if not further. Well, they serve the purpose to save lives. They have lost lives there. They have the stories up there. When I go to this area where I live, up north, Woodby Island, they have 
haunted houses here, excuse me, haunted lighthouses here and there. And the reason I say that is that the keepers report it. Uh, they bring in the paranormal groups that say things. Families report having seen things. You've had so many through the duration of time. Something's going on, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like it's finding you. That's exactly what it is. My first experience <clears throat> when I was a kid, I was minding my own business and something got my attention, and I was afraid to tell my mom about it. And then when I did, she explained a little bit. I was really, really young at the time. And then when I was older in high school, I saw something, but we were looking for it. It finds you. You're minding your own business, and what was that? Yeah, and almost like, if I say this, are people going to think I'm crazy? <laughs> Join the club. Well, I tell you what, Carl, we have... Um, phase two of this interview, you and I have worked in casinos, and we've got a lot to talk about that. But in the meantime, we've got to take a break. This is Matt Shane, the Matson Mitchell, and I will return with Nathan Miller and our buddy Carl Vogel. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine, with all your itinerary, we could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. Hi, this is Matt Shea, and the Matt's and Mitchell Show welcomes you back. And we are here with Carl Vogel, and um, Carl's a buddy, and he and I have some things in common, and one of which was we both worked at casinos, and we have a lot of stories to share. And then he sweetened the pot, 
He'd lived in a house that, according to the city of Des Moines, Washington, it is legitimately haunted. But anyway, Carl and I have had our nights where we would talk about the casino days. We've worked in different casinos. He's worked in six, I believe. I was a shuttle driver for one. So I was from the outside looking in, but he was in the main intersection of it. He was a car dealer, sometimes poker, sometimes blackjack. And I want to start off with a funny Frank Sinatra quote. He said, Las Vegas is the only place I know where money talks. It says goodbye. And then I've looked up a lot of quotes, a lot of sayings, and one of which is, a gambler never makes the same mistake twice. It's usually three or more times. And then here's one that's pretty profound. The house doesn't beat the player. It gives him a chance, the opportunity to beat himself. Okay, Carl, we've had those nights where you're talking to me a teetotaler. I would take seniors to casinos all the time, not to gamble, to get them into the buffets, to get them out, to take in the electricity, the excitements, the lights and everything. I have a book published about a guy gambling, and for that reason, I dared to sit at the controls for a while. So you're a buddy, but you advanced yourself to a fatherly image that night. You gave me some Ward Cleaver advice. Do you remember the advice you gave me that night when I asked about gambling? I do. Uh, something along the lines of uh, don't gamble. In essence, don't gamble more than you can afford. I mean, don't, when you go in there, pretend you didn't have the money in the first place. It should be that kind of money that you use to gamble and that you're not going to be kicking yourself tomorrow for having lost it. Yes. You were straight and to the point because you didn't want to see me a bad habit in the making that. And right. when I would go to these casinos and I was writing my story, and the book is out, it's called The Cabin in the Woods and Other Short Stories by Matt Shea. It has four short stories, and the second one is entitled George, and it's about an average guy who went to a casino to make money and what he experienced, because it's from my experience, and the positive he did about it. But we have more and more funny quotes and so forth. And I would look up at friendly advice for gamblers, and it seems that a whole bunch of them have their golden rules, so to say. I always see this one. Don't think of gambling as a way to make money. And as you said, only gamble with money you can afford to lose. Never take your debit card to the casino with you. There you go. Carl, they limit that too, but yeah. What are some of the things you have seen as a car dealer? Oh, uh, plenty. One comes to mind. Uh, you know, we we had talked about superstitions, and one gentleman had a lucky chip that he wouldn't use. You know, so I'm dealing blackjack, and he'd get down to his last chip, and he wouldn't use that one. He'd buy in more. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised 20 years ago this was if he still has that same chip and if he frequents the casinos, which I imagine he does, uh, he still has that same one. Okay. I got a little paranoid and superstitious myself because I had spent over a year walking through the parking lots of the six different casinos I studied, watching people leaving, 
yelling at the heavens above, blaming them, whoever, that they should have stopped him when he was ahead. Mm. Or couples fighting because each is blaming the other how much collectively they lost together. And once in a while, somebody did well. They got lucky and hit the jackpot. And I've watched people give advice to others on the do's and don'ts. I've watched people in there that would bring in good luck charms and place them on top, in front, and sometimes they would wear something like as if they were a sheik. They're wearing ornaments or something, and they would chant and pray that they have the heavens going full force in their favor. I would watch people sit on one machine and put their leg over another because this is their territory. And basically the security guards and managers told me that a lot of these people saw somebody do well at one and ever since they would report to that machine. Yeah, they, they say praying pray to the card the card guide, the card gods. Um, you know, if you got a ten and you double down, you know, the card gods are looking out for you. I think the card gods are honestly greedy sons of guns. But um yeah, no, I've I've had uh I was working at one casino and the regular came in one day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it down real quick. I, I'm supposed to be buying my family lunch. So, you know, don't tell my wife was here. Oh, kind of thing. And so I've worked bucks. with many guys. Don't tell my wife. Yeah. I don't even know your wife. So anyhow, he, he gambles the 20 bucks, loses 20 bucks, 20 bucks. And a few minutes later, I say, aren't you supposed to be getting your family, you know, lunch? He said, yeah, no, I just, you know, and you're supposed to be dealing to people. If they put money out, you have to, as a dealer, you have to honor their bet or whatever the money is on the table. When soon enough, a kid comes up the stairs, 10, 11 years old, and he came up and he tugged on his dad's arm and said, Dad, we're all waiting out in the car. We're supposed to be eating. And so I had to tell him, uh, I'm not dealing to you anymore. You know, go feed your family. So that was the most heart-wrenching kind of experience that I had, your family's out there. One of the security guards I spoke to a few days ago, because I still frequent my casinos. I love having the tea, the coffee, but I'm not a guy off the street being a schmuck about it. They know me pretty well at these casinos. And when I'm being the tea toddler, somebody's going to get a tip. I will go up to a custodian. I'll go up to a cleaning lady. I might go to the cage. I'm going to pay for these free drinks because I'm getting a good deal for a couple of dollars. I could stay there for a long time, watch, listen, and learn and everything. I was talking to one of my favorite security guards and he tells me that there are people who do an in-house arrest on themselves, get themselves on a list where you cannot allow me to enter this casino because we know what I'm going to do. And then they would come back a few nights later at one in the morning profanity and everything they want to go in and just gamble a little bit and they put up with that yeah you have to as long as they're not belligerent or you know the regulars they give a more leniency toward i mean especially people with money there was a there was a fella in seattle when i was working at a casino and he had the whole table to himself this is on blackjack and he was betting a hundred dollars on each hand there's seven spots and he was $100 in each hand. And if you were a dealer, he would be tipping for you. He'd be putting out totes. Um, when I was there for a 20-minute period, he lost somewhere around 
but I made $500 off of them because of the bets that I, but he could afford that. My guy that was supposed to be feeding his family, he couldn't afford something like that. So he needed to get out. This guy in Seattle, he was up, his yacht was parked in Edmonds and he was just up touring the world in his yacht. And so he had money to spend and it was, uh, it was remarkable how much money he went through in 20 minutes. Unbelievable. Here's a quote I found. The safest way to double your money is to fold it in half and put it in your pocket. That's pretty good advice for that. And then we have another one. It says gambling brought our family together. We had to move into a smaller house. (laughs) We know the name Dean Martin, and he had a heart of gold. And like Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, did they ever understand casino life? And Jerry Lewis was saying that Dean would walk around and see a desperate housewife gambling away the family grocery money. He'd introduce himself. He would step in. He was a professional gambler. He would ask her how much money she lost. In time, he would get it all back to the penny. He would fold. He would give her the money, sit her down, direct eye contact. I'm Dean Martin. You owe me a favor. Promise you will never, ever do this. Over and over again. He said, if you come here, you're taking your family out to a dinner to stay in a hotel. But just really got his point across how lucky she was and don't do that again. Exactly. He saved her. Talk about winning the lottery for real. Yes, exactly. Uh, We were watching this one woman who put an astronomical amount in. So much that everybody stopped. She put a lot in. It was over a 1,000. She's going maximum, and she's playing it like the Morse code. It's rapid fire. Mm. And she had lost it, I would say, well within 15 minutes. She turned around and saw that section of the room was watching her, and she yells. She points at another machine. I won 3,000 on this three weeks ago. Well, the obvious question is, how much have you lost since then? That's exactly right. You know, you see... From where I was, you can see people come in and you see how they need, it's almost like they need it. They need the gambling. I suppose it's like with any vice or any addiction, I, you know, it is an addiction. You can become pretty desolate, but when you lose your house and it breaks apart families, that's where an addiction, an addict really needs to turn around and take a look. So that's why I say don't gamble more than you can afford. Here's one for you. They don't gamble to win. They gamble so they can continue, continue gambling the next day. And a guy I worked with was a card counter pretty good because they would recognize him and escort him out. And he said the problem is he had a daughter who thought she was good. And a friend I worked with, she said she thought she was getting pretty good at it. And his brother said, tell you what, let's go do this and I'm going to take notes. So he would take notes of how much she put in. Within a week, she retired from it. She was mm-hmm. having fun and had those moments, but you, the house never loses. Right. And counting cards is not illegal. The casinos just don't want you there, and they, they reserve the right to kick you out. Yes. It, yes, it's their discretion in that. And he's had that a lot, which is a compliment. But like when Renee gambles, and I hate to 
tag on the word gamble because it's not advice for her. Okay, we are seniors, and we get free, you know, they, they give you free stuff once a week. Yeah. Exactly. And so we have the player's card, which means we are getting a reduction on their already cheap gasoline. It means we are getting a tremendous discount on their great restaurants that are already greatly discounted in good portions. But she's playing on their money, and I'll give her my card. And if she wins a little bit, she says, I was lucky. If she lost a little bit, she'll say, well, I walked away because I wasn't very lucky. Well, that's pretty good. I don't think you could get any better than that. And it was always within a tight window. And sometimes she just wouldn't touch it. Like it wasn't going right, but it evolved around the perks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those casinos, they'll find out ways to make you happy when you're spending your money. Here's another one for you. I believe this is an Irish quote. The best throw of the dice is to throw them away. (laughs) And here is one. It's hard to walk away from a winning streak, but it's much harder to walk away from a losing streak. Chasing after it. Yeah. That's exactly what they say, chasing your losses. When I got into the saddle and played the slots for a little bit, I had beginner's luck, and everybody's looking at me, well, who's he? Okay, it was beginner's luck, and then in time, I lost what I had won, and nature took its course. They then got into my account, but hey, the discounts I've had for restaurants, the book I'm selling with the royalties, the gasoline, the free iced tea, I justify it, but I went through that circle, and what I did was I've had a hobby that I've had since high school that I used to hide from my parents. I would send out resumes. I've worked at a casino, as you have, and I like being a shuttle driver. I've done it for Hiltons and Marriott's. Every one of these casinos I go to, I've talked to their hiring people, and they would get me on. It feels good that I could go into these classic places with decent people, and I could get a job there. I could be one of them, because I'm having fun, and when I get my tips, I take the seniors out. This is on from the casino, they're wishing everybody, hey, it's Taco Tuesday, let's have fun. Yeah. You know, casinos, the the crew that works there, they're a great bunch of people. Uh, that whole scene, we had such a blast. Working till six in, six in the morning was not a lot of fun, but fun to be around. And you see the good, the both sides, you see the yes. good and the Yes. In our neighborhood, they have a bar called The Keg. And they got the most wonderful people there. They know me, and I'll be having my tea, or I might get a salad or something. Wonderful conversation. All of them, at one time or another, used to gamble a bit of their paycheck, and they knocked it off. Instead, they do their charm, their job, they get their tips, and that's the gambling they're taking in the casino, on top of a paycheck with great benefits and a vacation. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. You and I have witnessed this many times where people concluded it's the casino's fault. You know this is going to happen to me. You're the reason why this happened. Renee's dad used to work at one, and one day they had to evacuate it. They brought in a robot that was to open a package because somebody said they put a bomb there. 
and mm-hmm. nobody got hurt, nothing exploded, but it was a regular that um, went postal on them. This was in Reno. But your answer to these people who are pointing the finger towards the, the casino, the management, the slot machines. Well, if it's the slot machine's fault or uh, the casino's fault that you're wearing your pajamas to the casino, then I can see it. But otherwise, it's your fault for getting up and going in there with your wallet. It's not the casino's fault. It's fun. The attraction is there. So you, you walked in. When I would take the seniors there, we had the time of our lives. We had exciting evenings, and we might even watch from a distance. But we had good food. We would take some stuff home. That was our side of the fence. I would watch people go up to the ATM, and it would flash, do you have a gambling problem? And they would give 800 numbers. You'll see that in the restrooms, the billboards. They are very open about that. And so here is something that I got recently. It is the National Council on Problem Gambling. They have a national helpline, which is 24-7s. 1-800-522-4700. But they also have a chat line, and that's ncpgambling.org slash chat. For 24-7s, you can meet a Carl, a Matt, a friend, You can meet people at a coffee shop. They're right there for you. The casinos do everything imaginable to make sure that they are only enhancing your life. And the biggest thing about it for me, I could get a job there. A person could get a career started. It makes it, they have the gaming, the gaming cards as you're aware of, and they do extensive background research. If somebody is holding a job at a casino, that is saying a lot about that person. Yeah. Well, and there's no kind of help like discussing and communicating with somebody that's been down in the ropes and they're, I guess, in a way, uh, recouping and and recovering from their their addiction. But, you know, somebody that's been through it, if somebody's looking for help, you know, talk to somebody that's been through it. They're that's really it, it, the voice of experience. Here's another one. One of the worst things that could happen to you in life is to win a bet on a horse at an early age. Such a thing had happened to a family member of mine back in the 70s. And dad was happy that one of my siblings was going to go out there, teenager, go to Long Acres, which is no longer open, bet they'll learn a good lesson. It backfired. She happened to win a couple hundred dollars. And back in the 70s, you're a teenager, you got bragging rights. And mm-hmm. dad sat her down and said it wasn't supposed to work out that way. And he explained, you were lucky. You took a shot in the dark, et cetera, et cetera. For the following week, it was done right. She reapproached the same scenario. She got reality. She lost what she had won the week before, plus a little extra. And dad was relieved. He says, great. And by the way, it's only going to get worse. What a lesson. What a lesson mm. to learn. Yes. Yeah. You know, th- I don't know if I told you this, but my first job was at the Coeur d'Alene racetrack, actually in Post Falls, and the the Greyhound racetrack. So that was where I got my first t- touch of, well, people are putting money down to see which dog wins. And so I tried it a couple of times, you know, two, two bucks here, three bucks there. And I wouldn't win. And eh, this is stupid. Why? Why am I even doing this? But then I kind of learned how to handicap the dogs, and uh, 
yeah, again, I didn't waste my paychecks on that. I was doing a lot of research, and they say that the slots are the number one draw. And they said, however, from what I've read, approximately 11% of the slot players are the ones who are going to turn a profit that outing. The other ones are going there believing that their ship's going to come in. Not today, maybe tomorrow. Well, it happens, so why not me? Yes. It does happen, and it tantalizes. It makes you feel that your number is going to come. You're just about there. Now, Carl, uh, you and I discussed this earlier. You are one interesting guy, and I have a feeling you and I are going to be doing a lot of shows together. I'm going to give out my website and so forth because people could contact you through my website. And so this is Matt Shea, and it would be from mattsheabooks.net, M-A-T-T-S-H-E-A, books.net. And there are places to write me. And if you write to Carl, it'll go from Peter to Paul. He will get that immediately. And we answer back, believe that. And I also have free audiobook. I have a lot of free stories and a lot of stuff on Amazon and a lot of interviews such as this one will be on it. And so that is something. Carl, I have greatly enjoyed you. I appreciate what you had to share about your family life in Des Moines and about the jungle out there in casinos. And the casinos are actually good guys. Look how well they're policed. Look at the security. They keep themselves, yeah, they have to as a business, and they do a great job. Yeah. Yes, they do. I like that. And again, I'm a teetotaler. I can get up at an odd hour. That's my all-night coffee shop. I'm going to have a nice conversation with one of the managers, somebody on break. I'm harmless. I'm happy there. Those machines don't talk to me. I learned my lesson. When I think about money there, that would be me being employed there. Well, and that's another nice thing about the casinos is very, very few places have as much of an eclectic group of people from every walk of life uh, out there. The draw of the casino brings in everybody. Yes, you get all walks of life there, and it's pretty tame. Okay. Well, thank you for being with us, Carl, and you and I are going to be in touch. We're going to go fishing soon. Next week, we have Mr. Laughter himself. I'm talking about Kevin McDonald from the new Positive Talk Radio. And at one time, he and I were on the Wednesday Lunch Club together. It's always a lot of fun with Kevin. We will see you next week at 10. And Gary and Suzanne, we miss you. Got to hear from you. Thank you very much. Bye.